Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. As we head into the spring season, that will mark two years since the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon wildfire tore through northern New Mexico. The fire remains the largest on record in state history, burning through more than 341,000 acres and destroying hundreds of homes across many New Mexico communities. Since it happened, the federal government has appropriated nearly $4 billion to respond to the disaster as a whole. The impacts of this government-sparked wildfire will be around for decades to come, from the charred land it left behind to the damage caused by flooding through burn scars. We've covered some of the responses to the fire here on this podcast, including the government's hands-on effort to repay the people who lost everything as a result of it. President Biden said in June of 2022, quote, Governor, let me be clear, we will be here for you in response and recovery for as long as it takes. Back in June, we interviewed Angela Gladwell of FEMA, who was up until recently the director of the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon Claims Office. At the time of our interview, that office was very much just getting started in some ways with its years-long expected effort in northern New Mexico. So now six months since that interview, a lot has happened. FEMA says more than $300 million in claims have been paid out. Meanwhile, Angela Gladwell has since left her role as the director of the claims office. The courts have also begun to hear about the claims process as attorneys representing dozens of clients have filed lawsuits against the government, many claiming it's not making good on timelines that were set forth to pay back claimants. This week on the podcast, we're talking to some of the government partners and federal workers linked to the ongoing project to rebuild after the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon wildfire. We're joined in person today by Deputy Secretary Ali Rye of the New Mexico Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management and FEMA spokesman John Mills, who works within the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon Claims Office. So Ali and John, thank you both for being here with us. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And John, just to get off the top right here, I understand part of this is just getting the word out to people who may be listening to this, who may want to know a little bit more about who to call, where to go with the claims office process. And you wanted to share a bit more about how people can get connected both in person and over the phone. I really appreciate that. And it's very important that we're very mindful that people in many ways who have not received full payment for their losses are going through a lot. And even though everybody went through the fire together, we are working with everyone on a case-by-case basis. While they went through the fire together, everyone's exact situation is unique different levels of property loss, business loss, and financial loss. So we do have some important phone numbers for people if they still need help, and three public claims offices open right now. There's a claims office helpline, which is 505-995-7133. Our advocate team, which will advocate on your behalf if you're having trouble, is 505-403-3373. And then Ali Rye, has state disaster case management if you want to talk directly to them at 505-670-4662. We do have three public claims offices. Las Vegas is at Mills Plaza, 216 Mills Avenue. It's open Monday through Thursday and then also on Saturday mornings in Mora at the county complex, the same days of operation. And then in Santa Fe at 1711 Yano Street, Suite E, 
And that's Monday through Thursday, not Saturday morning hours there. And then there is information on the web at fema.gov slash hermits dash peak. fema.gov slash hermits dash peak has claims forms that you can file and a lot of important information. Allie, I want to start with you. What has your role been with the state's Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management? Because to be clear, you work for the state of New Mexico, not the federal government. But I do understand there's a partnership in the state level in the work you do with FEMA. Can you explain what that is? So one of the things I, w- I want to make kind of clear to everybody is I actually have not always been the deputy cabinet secretary. So I originally started out as the response and recovery bureau chief, which handles the operation of the state emergency operations center and recovery to any kind of natural or man-made disasters. So I have been in this role and very much a part of this disaster since the very beginning, since the first the first fire kicked off. A lot of people also don't realize is that these were not the only fires that we had that day or over that course of period of time. So in that that short period of time, you know, large fires that that made it to the threshold for us to be able to clear a federal disaster were upwards of eight fires. So the state was completely absorbed and we were helping coordinate resources. So not only were we there in the very beginning, but we are dedicated to being there through throughout the entire time. The state of New Mexico is here. We're committed to making sure that our constituents get the compensation that they're entitled to. We also understand that the disaster is not over. So every time that it snows, every time that it rains, every time that the winds pick up or, you know, someone decides to do a prescribed burn, we're on standby. We are constantly watching and we are making sure that these people are protected so that way this doesn't occur again. So as you mentioned there, yeah, you've had some prior work experience essentially on other disasters and other things that have happened in New Mexico disaster-wise, I guess, from 2022 throughout. How long have you been with the agency, though, I guess, year-wise? I have been with the agency since the beginning of 2022, but I've been in my role since the beginning of 2023. I've stayed in mostly the recovery area, but I have progressed forward just so that way, to be perfectly honest, it was kind of one of those things that just meant a lot to me, you know, seeing it and, and going through it and being there with these people and constantly being in recovery Being in this position just, it means a whole lot to me because I want to help these people as much as possible. From the state perspective, what is it that you do and or your agency does, I should say, to support the work of the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon Claims Office and and how have you seen that process work? We, like I said, we've been there since the very beginning. One of the big things for folks to realize is that we actually sit in what they call a joint field office with FEMA here in Santa Fe. So that way we are in every meeting. We are making decisions hand in hand with the feds so that way it is it has the constituents and New Mexico's people's thought in mind. So that way they have a sounding board. They have someone who understands New Mexico and understands the culture here and how unique and how how much it is needed to be kept New Mexico. We also know that we need to maximize funding. So we are very grateful that the feds are here, but the feds also have restrictions to the funds that they have. So we have to be able to maximize all the funding that is coming in whether it's federal, other federal funding, whether it's local funding, maybe it's national wide funding that's on like a nonprofit basis. We are the ones that are trying to gather all of that together and being able to maximize those for our constituents. So John mentioned disaster case managers. Those are ran by the state of New Mexico through my office. Those folks are very similar to navigators. They're here to help folks navigate the process. But the difference between our disaster case managers and John's navigators is the fact that we are looking at more than just FEMA claims office dollars. So let's say we have someone that comes in who's received compensation from FEMA. 
and it's just not enough. Or maybe it just didn't cover some of the, the damages or some of the impacts that they have. We're designed to find those gaps and find funding to meet those gaps. And John, your involvement in the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon office, claims office, you're a spokesman, but what's been your role beyond the obvious, you know, talking to media and, and communication? I think it's really important to point out that when this disaster happened and the governor requested a major disaster declaration and the president approved it, FEMA's role under the law that authorizes FEMA to respond to that the Stafford Act, is in support of the state. FEMA comes in to support state priorities to provide assistance for those people who were affected, typically their primary residence that was directly impacted and helping people who have been displaced. Because the U.S. Forest Service admitted starting the fire, Congress passed that law in about September of 2022, saying uh, these losses need to be paid by federal dollars for property losses, business losses, and financial losses. So now we are working in close partnership with the state and trying to speed up that process beyond what has been accomplished so far so that we have very close relationships so that the claims office may be able to pay for various types of losses, but also our disaster funding programs can also help pay for things. So for example, We work very closely with Allie and her team with our public assistance program. And some of the latest numbers are, this is separate from claims office. FEMA has paid about $124 million to the state. So the state can reimburse state agencies, local governments, certain nonprofit organizations for their disaster-related expenses for things like debris removal, emergency protective measures, and the restoration of infrastructure and facilities. However, because of the unique nature of the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire, the claims office can pick up where that FEMA public assistance program leaves off. So that's why it's very important that we work together in the joint field office to coordinate all of that, to make sure that if one program can pay for something or can't, then we're finding a solution together. On those lines as well, communication efforts, I've noted FEMA has certainly put together a lot of videos hearing from people who've navigated through the claim process as well. Is that something that you've been involved in here as well as doing communications work? I have not produced any any of those videos, but I, I am curious just because some of the media coverage, I think, focuses almost exclusively on the claims office in a vacuum without possibly painting a a fuller picture. And this, this is in, in no way a criticism of uh, any particular media outlet, okay? Just broadly, as Ali mentioned, when you have a major disaster like this one, there can be a variety of funding sources. And in this case, it's a fire, but it could also apply to a serious wind event, for example. Fortunately, a lot of people are covered by insurance, but in many times, the insurance might not be enough, or it may only cover your housing situation but not a fire destroying, for example, five or 10 acres of your land and trees and the soil and maybe your vehicles, outbuildings and things like that. So you may find that some people have those needs that they they need to come to the claims office. But for example, if they received $100,000 in insurance and they have $200,000 in losses, all the claims office can do is pay for the $100,000 that is not already covered. But with respect to the videos, we have received 
positive feedback from people who have gone through the claims process. What we're trying to do, though, is move faster. FEMA is only allowed to pay for claims with documentation that we receive. So what you've seen and heard in a lot of the coverage is that it's true, Congress did allocate nearly $4 billion to pay claims for property losses, business losses, and financial losses. But the law requires people to submit first a notice of loss saying, I'm going to file a claim with documentation. And then people can work with our navigators in those claims offices to help gather documentation, such as proof that they own their home, that they own their car, contractor estimates of what restoration may cost. What's it going to cost, for example, to remove destroyed trees from property that may be on a slope of a hillside? Those costs can vary widely. So that's why we work with people one-on-one along those lines. So we want to continue to hear from people and help them with their losses to help them get every dollar they're eligible to receive under the law. Can you give us an update on what has been delivered so far and, and how many people have reached out for assistance? As of now, January 26, 2024, we have received about 3,100 notices of loss, meaning someone says that they had damage and they're going to be submitting a claim. As of now, FEMA has received about $531 million in claims with documentation to support those claims. FEMA has approved about 66% of that, or $351 million in payments for people with property losses, financial losses, and business losses. In addition to that, we have our claims navigators and our claims offices helping people gather documentation for more than $500 million in additional claims. So those claims are in development right now, and that just simply means that For FEMA to be allowed to pay, we need to have that supporting documentation. So that's why it's important for people in the affected communities to help spread that word. So if people are frustrated and we know people have gone through a lot, we're very mindful of that. Please let people know that these claims offices are available and let people know how to get in touch with the helpline, with our advocate team, and with state disaster case management, because they really will work with you one-on-one. After you submit that initial notice of loss, you will be assigned a claims navigator who will work one-on-one with you. We have released, in plain language, a program and policy guide which helps explain what types of losses may be eligible for reimbursement. We've also posted on that same homepage a link to document checklists, also in plain language, to help people understand if they had damage to their home, and unfortunately it was destroyed. Here are the various types of documents that will satisfy the requirement that FEMA has so that we can maximize the payments to you. I was just speaking to to one of our advocates, our lead advocate yesterday, and she was telling me that in some cases, people may report, for example, a certain amount of damage and certain losses, lost trees in this case, and so many people have that but they may not consider everything. So that's why the navigator can walk them through the process. So for example, you may say, I have damaged trees and here's the estimated cost of removing that and and reforestation. But our navigators may be able to say, well, actually you have other cascading effects. You have soil issues and other related issues to destroy trees. In some cases, we've actually approved more money than people have asked for. And that's why those navigators and claims reviewers are very important to people. 
You mentioned property loss, which we all know that's a major role in this, but can you give us some examples of what are some more unique things that FEMA is having to pay for in its recovery as far as losses? It's really a a wide variety of just about everything you can imagine. We did hold a town hall meeting and I'm going to see if Allie wants wants to speak because FEMA is just part of a very large team and there are a lot of state programs. So one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about this community is that they lived off of the land up there. That's how they made their livelihood. So whether it was from going into the national forest and cutting down wood to sell as firewood or their cattle would go up into the higher terrain and graze during the summertime. For these communities, the impact from this fire is a lot more than just monetary. It's It hurts all the way down. So one of the things that we're coordinating right now with New Mexico Department of Transportation and through funding from FEMA is to utilize all of the burnt firewood, or the burnt trees that we are taking down that we call hazardous trees. And we are going to be cutting it and blocking it and taking off that, that burnt debris and repurposing it as firewood for these communities to come in and grab. So we have two locations. One is in Mora at the Public Works Yard. The other one is in San Miguel at the Public Works Yard there. One of the things that we're definitely working on, too, you asked some first unique, is people either had to sell their cattle or they had to find interesting ways in order to feed their cattle. So like one of the things is we contracted with a charter out of Iowa to bring hay down. So now we're continuously trying to do that hay distribution for this community because they can't go into that higher terrain and and have their cattle graze up there. The last ones that I do want to definitely plug because the deadline's coming up soon is so underneath the claims office is the opportunity for folks to get flood insurance because of this. It's actually written into statute, but that timeline is coming up very quickly. So Claimants need to submit it, their application to the claims office, and they can do it just for this. They don't have to do it for any of the other damages that they occurred. They can do it just for this, just to get this ball rolling. They have to submit in that application by March 1st for FEMA to turn around and meet the deadline of May 31st that's statutorily written. And that will give them up to five years, correct, John? Five years of flood insurance? That's right. And that can be important. And I'm not an expert but I know you know a lot about it because of the damage to the trees and the burn scar area has this increased risk of flooding. So that's one of the reasons why we're paying for, I think it's hundreds of millions of dollars in additional flood insurance coverage. Correct. Yep. So a lot of people, they see the green grass growing, they see trees rebutting, but they don't realize that the earth beneath it is so fragile right now. And that even though we have this green grass growing back, or you start to see the trees repopulating, it doesn't mean that there isn't damage there. And it doesn't mean that with the next snowstorm or with the next flood that comes from runoff from snow, that we don't have trees that start to fall down or we don't start to see a lot of that mud and ash and debris start filling up our sakias and coming down and impacting our homes. So flood insurance is a big thing. And if there's, I can tell you from the state's perspective that there's nothing else that you wanna deal with on the FEMA side, cause that is your choice and you have that right please go get flood insurance. It's extremely expensive and at least take advantage of the five years that FEMA is offering. John, we know that some claims still have not been paid out and there is still a lot of time for people to file claims as well. Is this something that truly will be many more years down or is this kind of a wrapping up in months? It doesn't feel like that, but how long should we expect this process to go? This was the largest wildfire in the history of New Mexico, hundreds of thousands of acres, and you just can't do reforestation overnight like that. 
I've been so impressed by the work that's underway right now in the state to work on that over the long haul and how they're going to do reforestation at scale. A few different things are happening, though. Yes, this is a very long-term recovery. FEMA is going to be here for the long haul in partnership with the state. At the same time, we are actively processing claims as quickly as we can, and we're working very hard to accelerate the payment approval process so millions and millions of dollars can be distributed to people who had losses, whether that's property loss, business loss, financial loss, or all three. We are encouraging people to submit the documentation. We're encouraging people to continue to work with us. In terms of the approval rate, we had been making approvals at a rate of about $2 million a day, and that's accelerating now beyond $3 million a day. And that's because we're doing things at a variety of different levels. We're hiring more people from the local area to work as claims navigators directly with those people who've been affected by the fire and the cascading effects. But we're also doing things at the claims review level and at quality control to make sure that if someone submits the required amount of documentation, it doesn't go back to the person for another request for documentation when it might not be necessary. We want to cut the red tape and let people know exactly what documents are needed. So that's why we've posted the document checklists online. I'm hopeful that those steps at all of those different levels, those that you see publicly and those that are taking place operationally with inside the claims office, will speed up this process and will continue to accelerate that. The other thing that's very, very important is, and so much appreciate KRQE's help and Nexstar for helping get timely and accurate information out to people, because that's very important to provide timely and accurate information to people who are traumatized by this life-changing event. So even if you weren't directly affected, if you have accurate information you can provide to someone, you might make a huge difference in someone's life there. So thanks for what you're doing to do this. We appreciate that. And I know you, John, you've mentioned streamlining this process several times, and and I want to do get back to that. But I have a question for Ali kind of regarding that. We know this process of fulfilling claims is a federal one. Again, not the state of New Mexico as a state agency in responding to this disaster, though. We've seen dozens of New Mexicans file lawsuits arguing FEMA has failed to meet processing requirements under that 180-day mandated payment deadline. Victims say they desperately need these payments to repair or rebuild damaged homes and property. Those lawsuits are still making their way through the courts. But Ali, in your view, is FEMA working fast enough and efficiently enough for New Mexico from the state's perspective? Gabby, you're going to put me on the spot It's a tough here. one, I know. I know you're embedded and you work together. <laughs> so I will tell you that we, as the state of New Mexico, so... When the claims office was designed, initially there wasn't really a, a true role for the state to participate in it. And the state definitely argued and said, no, we want a role. We want to we want to participate. And so because of that, we have been very hand in hand with John and, and the FEMA staff, especially on the claims office side recently, to, you know, to advocate for the streamlined documentation, the streamlined impacts that John is talking about. And one of those things is We asked for FEMA to reduce their burden of documentation on these claimants. We all collectively know that when someone loses everything, and and, I mean, I think about it now, you know, if my house were to burn right now, my birth certificate's in there, my passport is in there, my deed to my house is in there, and 
we're trying to minimize what FEMA is asking for from these folks. So if there's any way that the state can help support a claimant in trying to either find that documentation, rebuild that documentation, or, you know, create that documentation for them to prove how well they can be compensated behind it, you know, the state is pushing really hard for that. One of the things, too, that we've been talking to FEMA about is utilizing GIS a little bit more. So let's just say that a claimant has a piece of property. If we can do aerial surveys of that property in order to reduce what that claimant is asked, is being asked for, we would love to take that approach. Now, we all know these are federal dollars. There are taxpayer dollars. We have to be able to, you know, explain to the taxpayers where this, these dollars are going. So unfortunately, FEMA has a lot of red tape and their hands are tied. Thanks, OMB. But because of that, we're trying to figure out ways for them to have documentation to show to OMB that, hey, we didn't just take this money and go, you know, buy a Lamborghini. We actually utilized it, but at the same time, not making our claimants, not making our New Mexicans be the ones who actually pay that cost. One of the other things that we're, we're making sure that we're doing is being there every step of the way. So the Gov actually has uh, monthly calls with the FEMA administrator where she goes in and she asks for certain things from the FEMA administrator to make this a lot, this process a lot easier. I said in the very beginning, but I will definitely reiterate, this is something that is near and dear to the governor's heart. This is not something that has, you know, has not gotten from her foresight. She thinks about it daily. We actually communicate up to the Gov's office very frequently of our progress and how things are going. If anything, the New Mexicans should know that they do have a very passionate a governor who is very much concerned about them and wanting to make sure that they do get compensated and they do get made whole. I wanted to talk a little bit about the director of the claims office. You know, John, our News 13 reporter, Madison Connor, had recently interviewed you just about the recent departure of Angela Gladwell, something we mentioned at the top of the episode. She was the director of the claims office, helped get things started here. Can you share with us a little bit more about why she left the office? Well, when you have a a very large disaster that may involve years of long-term recovery, FEMA is known to open long-term recovery offices. It might be called a a joint recovery office, what have you. But we do have them open now in this region of the country in Texas, Houston, because of Hurricane Harvey years ago, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because of a whole series of hurricanes that unfortunately hit, hit that state over many years, going back almost 20 years. So now New Mexico will have a longer term recovery office and Puerto Rico has one as well because of Hurricane Maria and, and other effects like that. The purpose of that is really to make sure we're tightening up our coordination, communication, and collaboration to support state priorities, quite frankly. As the federal government, we're, we don't lead New Mexico. We do run the claims office as set up by Congress and as Congress directed, but at the same time, we want to be very mindful of, of state priorities and state knowledge and know-how, as, as Ali's illustrated. And I think that is going to help a lot in this. With that said, standing up a claims office and essentially a brand new government program was never going to be easy for whomever had the claims office director job. And I, I think it's worth noting that while there has been a lot of negative attention on it, a significant amount of money was approved for hundreds and hundreds of people who submitted claims when really the first physical office did not open until March of 2023. 
And now we have a, a work office, as Ali mentioned, a joint field office where the state uh, sits with us, but also the three public claims offices in Las Vegas, Mora, and Santa Fe. So that's really great to have that. We are going to establish a chief operating officer role, and Director Angela Gladwell is still assisting right now with the transition and supporting that because she has so much institutional knowledge, along with many, many people from New Mexico who we've hired and have been working with us for nearly a year here. She's going to transition to a new role within FEMA, in addition to helping with the recovery, continue to maintain the agency's mission. One of the things, too, about the long-term recovery office that the state is super excited about is people don't realize this, that FEMA staff have a 50-week rule. So they are deployed to the disaster for 50 weeks because then if not, we start talking about IRS and all the other mess. So because of this, because we're establishing a long-term office, we're actually hiring folks where their location, their duty location is here in Santa Fe. So now we're eliminating that 50-week rule to where we have folks, we're not having every 50 weeks, we're not having to retrain or re-educate someone on what happened here in New Mexico. They're here, they, they live here, they're ingrained here, they're ingrained into our community. And so for us, from the state perspective, it's, a really, it's really good because now we're not constantly just doing this revolving wall kind of thing. And I think right now, somebody said we have about, about 70% of the staff are from right here in New Mexico. And when you have a, a longer term recovery office, we'll still be doing hiring. I think we have, we have some hiring fairs coming up in uh, Mora and uh, Santa Fe in February. You mentioned a chief operating officer position, but will that director position also be filled? I think what you're going to see is a structure that more resembles a FEMA regional office in some ways and a long-term recovery office structure, but we will still need to follow the law as written by Congress and the related regulations in terms of the operation of the office. So in part of the interview, John, that you had done with Madison recently, I understand you were, you were speaking of that transition. You had said, quote, we need to streamline processes for people who have been affected. We need to cut red tape. We need to reduce the documentation burden on people who've been affected. There seems to be an acknowledgement here of improvement needed in the response of the claims office. And again, as we had mentioned, it comes amid sort of the continual legal battle that is happening in the courts, which obviously I know you can't necessarily speak to that plays out in the courts. But am I reading that correctly? Is there that acknowledgement that, yeah, we, we've really got to make changes here? What would you say about the work that the claims office has done and what needs to be done? I think what I said in the quote is accurate. And you're right. I, I'm not allowed to comment about pending litigation. But with that said, frankly, you can never move fast enough when someone lost their home through no fault of their own and another federal agency admits starting the fire. That's after all why Congress passed the law. We are taking recommendations that Ali Rye and others with the state are making, and we're doing our best to implement those recommendations that, that we get from the state and from other partners, including the New Mexico congressional delegation. For example, we're taking some immediate actions to deploy temporary staff while we're still hiring locally to make sure we're processing claims faster. We're reducing the documentation burden. We're helping people understand what's needed to get every dollar they're eligible to receive. And when possible, we're paying people over and above what they actually submit as we have a conversation with them about their claim and realize, oh, you actually may be eligible for this other money that's allowable under the law and the regulations. 
that they may not know of. That's right. And so that's why anything you can do to help spread the word that claims navigators are providing personal attention to people who are affected by the fire and encourage people, please don't give up. We recognize, and yes, we acknowledge that this has been a frustrating process at times for some. At the same time, we have received positive feedback from people who've gone through the process and have received some of the $351 million that we've approved for payment so far. And and that's about 66% of the money that has been requested through claims with documentation. We expect hundreds of millions of dollars more to be approved as people continue to submit the documentation. And as Ali pointed out, we are striving to reduce the documentation burden and cut down on delays. Those claims that were filed some time ago, we're working to prioritize those. Do you feel like there's a good level of accountability having the state kind of co-locate there next to the federal partners? Because I think as we all realize, right, a federal operation can feel really broad sometimes to the specific needs of a state operation. But do you feel there's Ali, a good level of accountability that's happening now between these two offices? Most definitely. I will tell you that that is the state's number one goal is to make sure that not only is FEMA, you know, a part of this disaster, but so is our other federal partners who do have a stake in, in New Mexico. I've mentioned it time and time again, and it's one of those things that I reiterate to FEMA headquarters in D.C., We do not meet the mold of Texas or Louisiana or Florida, and we have very unique requirements, very unique things that we need here. And so having the state there and being able to advocate for not only New Mexico, but also for its citizens is by far, I mean, it's the best thing that we could do. That's one of the things that I definitely wanted to reiterate as we're wrapping up is that, you know, the state's in the trenches and will continue to be in the trenches with these folks and these communities to make sure that they are advocated for. One other note, again, just about the issue of, you know, claimants and wait times. We know it's also gotten the attention of New Mexico's federal delegation recently. On January 22nd, Congresswoman Teresa Ledger Fernandez, Senators Ben Ray Lujan and Martin Heinrich, they all published a joint letter to FEMA administration. Deanne Criswell, as the delegation says, they have, quote, deep concern over the delay procession decision over 100 claimants affected by the fire. Are there things claimants can do that can help make the process better for both parties? Is that burden on claimants at all to streamline this process? We are working to prioritize claims that were submitted some time ago. Some of this is related to standing up a new program to help people get paid. In some cases, though, we want to make sure we maximize the money going to someone. So What we don't want to do is approve someone for a much smaller amount of money when if we can get back in touch with them and say, hey, can you provide this one other piece of documentation? If you do, you may get thousands of dollars more. So that's part of the consideration operationally about what the office is doing. But we are committed to working one-on-one with everyone who has a loss related to the fire to help them through that process and prioritizing those who've been waiting. A question possibly for both of you, and, and maybe I'll, Ali, I'll start with you. When, when hearing all of these stories and the criticism that's come around here, is there something people are maybe missing or something you want people to hear or know or understand when they hear the narrative about just sort of some of the conflicts that have emerged here? I think my biggest thing is that people need to advocate for themselves too. 
we have folks who are out there who have maybe not ventured into this process because they're concerned. I would strongly recommend that if you don't feel comfortable going to FEMA, you know, definitely use the resources around you. So the state disaster case managers, they're not affiliated to anyone but the state. They're not there to pressure you into anything. They are not there to make you sign a piece of document or feel like you have to take a certain amount on your claim. They're there to be an advocate for you, to listen to you, to to walk you through this process with the FEMA navigators. You know, I mentioned early on that there's other resources that they they do have the capability of having. But if you are concerned about, you know, stepping into, uh, you know, a, a claims office because you don't know what's on the other side of that wall, you know, reach out to us. We'll have our case manager who walks in with you and makes sure that you feel comfortable as you go in there. My biggest concern is that we have people that could potentially be leaving money on the table, maybe because they're still angry, rightfully so but you're owed this money. And, and the governor said it really well, you know, in a press conference, the, I think it was last year, you know, this money was set aside for these folks. And if you don't take the avenues, if you don't choose to reach out, you're hindering yourself at this point in time, you're not hindering the federal government. So definitely reach out, try to ask all the questions that you can potentially ask and make sure that you're advocating for yourself to get the money that you deserve. And just keep in mind, you may have received money from your insurance company, if you had insurance. You may have received money from FEMA's individual assistance program. I know some employers were very generous. The private sector maybe provided money and and other assistance, charities and nonprofits. You may have received funding from a variety of other sources, but as Ali points out, the claims office is there to help pay for those losses not covered by any of those other sources. So, We do encourage people who are directly affected by the fire and have property losses, business losses, or financial losses to make sure they submit a notice of loss and then make sure you submit a signed proof of loss with supporting documentation so we can pay you the money you're eligible to receive. Well, John and Allie, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks again to Allie Rye and John Mills for joining us for this conversation. The links to file a claim and find out where some of those offices that John mentioned off the top and also phone numbers, we'll be sure and post them in the corresponding web article along with this episode on krqe.com. And we'll also include some links in our show notes. Yeah, you can always find our uh, podcast webpage. We never really say it here, but krqe.com slash podcasts and you can see all the episodes web articles for the corresponding episodes. Always a good place to look out. Put little bonus pictures here or there sometimes online. Thanks again for listening. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com and also at chrismckeetv. And I'm gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com in email and gburknm on social media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>